Welcome back, everybody, to episode 13 of Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. Um, this is going to be a very depressing episode. Let's cue the intro. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. tumultuous couple days for baseball i know i know you got a few things to say to kick this off before we get into the bad news yeah um kind of two things so first let me start with my little bit of news and then i will cue you up uh to really let you run off on it some good news uh on the gender equality front which surprisingly baseball i think actually does a pretty good job of being up there baseball nba um the Mets hired Elizabeth Ben, uh, who was in the MLB office, to be the director of Major League Operations. Um, by my estimations, that's the first director of uh, baseball operations for a Major League team. Um, so, very exciting stuff there. Good for the Mets, uh, good for baseball in general. So, congratulations to Elizabeth Ben. Keep it rolling. Um, you know, and I think this goes back to we talked about the Yankees. Uh, new hitting coach and it's like well yeah you don't necessarily need to play the game at a professional level to um, get involved in the business side the coaching aspects of it so just another another character yeah um, and we'll even get to that uh we'll even touch on another woman in baseball later when we talk about the Jeter news because the general manager of the Marlins is uh the first female general manager I believe yeah of course that's huge um Jeter news. So kind of a little spoiler there. We will be talking about Derek Jeter stepping down. But really what makes this a sad podcast, and I know in the past match we have locked out from covering the lockout, but uh, it's official. There are updates, and I think it's warranted us dipping our toes back in. Um, so I'll let you kind of uh, explain the situation and, and why this is one of the worst weeks for baseball in the last two decades. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. Um so, uh, as we kind of touched on last week, um, or I guess we didn't really because we weren't going to talk about the lockout, but the past 10 days or so, um, both camps, so the, the ownership group led by Rob Manfred and the owners and Dan Halem, the deputy commissioner, um, along with the player side, um, represented by, uh, there are so many players there, Scherzer, Andrew Miller, Trey Turner, all these different players, um, were in their camp, and they both were in Jupiter, Florida, at the site of um, one of the spring training facilities. And basically, they spent the last 10 days negotiating, especially leading up to the originally set February 28th deadline, which we have mentioned before, of the deadline that the MLB set um, for a deal to be made um, and a full season to be played. They basically said if a deal is not made by... February 28th, then, you know, part of the season will be canceled. Opening day will be pushed back. And so, you know, talks were leading up. Uh, things weren't going great throughout the week. And then on on the deadline day, on um, February 28th, Monday, the, the two sides met 
dozens and dozens of times. I think around 20 times total, something like that, over a 16 It was ridiculous. Hour, over a 16-hour period. Basically, they, they had like two sides of the stadium or whatever where one side the players were, one side the owners were. And they would basically, you know, meet up, talk, discuss, and then go back to their sides and, you know, rethink about it. Um, some meetings lasted like 20 minutes, some lasted hours, but it went well deep into the night. And it seemed to be going well, actually. I was optimistic um, following some of the tweets from Jeff Passan and Bob Nightingale and, and other people reporting live from the scene. And, you know, I, I didn't think that a deal would be made, but things were going so well. And, um, well, I wouldn't say so well, but the some of the reporting was optimistic enough that they actually pushed the deadline to the next day, to March 1st. Um, at 5 p.m., they set the deadline. So it was like, okay, and, you know, they've been negotiating it all day well into the night, and now they're pushing the deadline back because maybe they think they're, you know, approaching um, – a, a real point where they can come to an agreement. So they Let continue. Just, yeah, go. I just Please. wanted to jump in as to the how legitimate this was and how dedicated your uh, wonderful host here at Round and Third, the baseball podcast, are. We had cleared the schedule for an emergency CBA baseball's back podcast. So that's how you really know. That's like the forefront of credibility. Uh, we are ready to roll into action when they move that deadline. It really did seem. Like we were getting a deal, hopefully on uh, March first. Yeah, it really did, and and you know we were ready. You know we were talking back and forth about it. Like this is looking real good. Um, things are moving swiftly. A lot of optimism's coming out of Jupiter, Florida, and so much so that they pushed the like I said the deadline of the next day. But you know it it, it just seems like the next day on Tuesday, March first, that everything kind of fell apart. Um, they didn't start meeting until around noon or one, at least not in person. You know, they could have talked on the phone and really the deadline was 5 PM, by the way, 5 right, PM deadline 5 PM. on Tuesday. And it really seemed like all reports indicated that discussions, if anything, went backwards. Um, not a lot of progress was being made. The two sides were still very far apart on a lot of these economic issues. Um, like we've talked about in the past, the pre-arbitration pool, the minimum salary for players, um, the years of service needed to, you know, all these different types of things. Um, and so around the 5 p.m. deadline, the MLB, um, I guess, provided what was reported that they said was their, quote, best and final offer. Although in Manfred's press conference, which we'll get to, he said those words were never used, but Bob Nightingale says he has a good source to say they were. Um, so the MLB offers this grand deal. That's their best and final offer. Just take the, it or leave it kind of style. The Players Association unanimously declined it um, right before the 5 p.m. deadline. And that was that. So, you know, we, we figured at that point that games would be canceled. And shortly after 5 p.m., Rob Manfred took the stage for a press conference. <laughs> I mean, this was a brutal press conference in, in my eyes watching it live. Um but, and we'll get to that. Uh, but basically what he said was the first two series of the MLB season will be canceled. So basically the first week of games, totaling 91 total games, will be canceled. Um, negotiations continue today, actually, on Thursday. There was an informal discussion between uh, Dan Halem and um, 
whoever's leading, uh, Dan Halem, the deputy commissioner, and Bruce Meyer, kind of the lead negotiator for the Players Association, they had an hour and a half conversation, but it was completely informal. No um, proposals were made. But back to the Manfred press conference. So that's the big news. You know, one whole week of games are canceled. The first two series of the MLB season are canceled, not to be made up. As of now, you know, you know, never know what they might. Do. Players are not to be paid as well. They won't get paid that part of their contract. Uh, you know, important to note. But the 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 Rob Manfred press conference. I mean, I, I'm I'm sure you saw it, James. It just seemed like. You know, he came out there kind of laughing with people, like smiling, having a good time. And it was like, dude, you're about to cancel the season. And, you know, heartbreak, uh, uh, millions of fans who are hoping to see the season start on time and get a full season of baseball after, you know, we had the 2020 shortened season. Um, and he's out there laughing. And then he says, he says, quote, the, the, the best and final offer, you know, verbiage was never used, although some sources say it very most certainly was. Um, and it was just, it was tough to watch. He says, you know, both sides are trying their hardest, blah, 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 which I don't think is true. I mean, they've been locked out since December and now they're picking the day before the deadline to go all out on this. Um, I don't well, know. That's, I mean, you know, Max, that's a, that's a great point that I almost wanted to stop you and Keen on earlier. They really had, quote-unquote negotiations going all week uh, this week leading up in Florida. Negotiating, really, they they actually put their effort into negotiating for maybe 16 hours. Been locked out for 90 days. They gave us 16 hours, and I was like, oh, well, out of time. Got to lose the season. Keep in mind, they did not meet. They did not meet. They met once in December, the entire month of December. They met once. It was literally a, like a 17-minute meeting. It was nothing I mean, it, it's ridiculous. They should have been. If anyone cared about baseball, and we tweeted this out on our Twitter account, Rounding Third Now, excuse the car, uh, Rounding Third Now, um, we tweeted that like baseball is the only business in America that hates its end user. They actually hate their consumer. You cannot convince me otherwise. Like, how do you cancel the season? You have declining viewership. You hate the people who support your game. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's just a joke. And Rob Manfred, I have a million and a half reasons why that guy sucks. He's the worst contract in baseball. They need to move on. But to be able to walk up there at the podium and cancel baseball, which should have been super somber. I mean, you are the guy, the league representative. That To you, this is about the worst announcement you can possibly give ever. And you're laughing and joking, practicing his golf swing. I mean, which, by the way, I mean, he's just a joke. He's a gigantic joke, and I cannot believe, you know, you have the piece of metal comment about the the commissioner's trophy, literally named after him. He goes, it's a hunk of metal. Who cares? Doesn't understand why we play. Doesn't care if we play. Like, this guy may be the worst candidate ever for commissioner of baseball. I mean, he's a joke. And, by the way, Marcus Stroman Best Twitter follow in Major League Baseball. He has been tweeting at him, man clown, nonstop for weeks, and I love it. And he backed it up with his press conference. And Manfred has, like, prided himself on being this, you know, like, expert negotiator. He says he's come in and solved these labor disputes in the past. I mean, like, this was a terrible showing. I mean, the, the, the players have been locked out for 100 days, and 
it, it, it takes the this arbitrary deadline that they set for them finally to get something going and meet. And even at that point, they can't even come to, you know, even a reasonable agreement. I think that the problem with this whole thing is that for, you know, years now and decades now, the, the players have not been getting what what they really deserve. And the owners, the owners and the league have been able to kind of take advantage of the players in some ways. And, um, you're, you're kind of seeing now that the players are standing together and really not allowing them to be walked over anymore, even though Manfred's trying to spin this as um, an offer that's substan- um, substantial enough for them and gives them some of the things they want. But they don't want, just want, you know, a, a, a couple more, uh, like a few more million dollars here and there. They want something that's fair. And one thing that I really didn't like about the Manfred press conference is he talked about how um, the last five years have been, you know, really tough on the league and it's hard for them to, you know, give some of the financials that the players are requesting. That's just a really dishonest statement. Obviously there was a 2020 pandemic, which obviously was a financial impact on um, the, the world financials as it was everywhere else. But, but 2017, 2018 and 19, um, the league had, in incredible financials. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for the stat here, but they um, basically the, the financials ballooned from like $1.4 billion to like $1.85 billion, $1.3 billion to $1.85, according to Forbes um, since 2017. And so I wouldn't necessarily call that struggling. In fact, they were wildly wildly financially successful during those years. So painting it like baseball is going down one is just why would you give that public perception when baseball is actually doing well? And, and, and two, that's the heart of he, he's, he's basically trying to um, make it look like MLB's not doing well so the players don't deserve more money. When if you look at the numbers, the MLB is doing exceptionally well and growing financially year over year, but the players and their salary and the revenues are re- very stagnant, especially for the younger players, which is what this kind of is all about. Well, what this is what interests me is, right? Okay, so l- let's just say we agree with Manfred's ridiculously fraudulent statement, which could be fact-checked and was proven incorrect. Okay, so... Revenues are tanking. Your solution is we finally have young stars that we've done a decent job marketing. MLB The Show actually is a stranglehold on sports gaming market for a second. Baseball is actually having a little bit of an uptick in attention. I think the 2021 season was the most I've heard my non-baseball friends get involved in the league. And your answer is to lock out and stop the sport. It's a reverse nirvana. It's it's idiotic. If numbers are going down, you should not be saying, well, let, let's play less games. That would give you less revenue. I mean, it's stupid. It's just ridiculously stupid if that statement is true, which it's not. So, of course, Manfred lying to people. What's new? I mean, I don't understand. And, Max, I don't know how much you blame Rob Manfred because he's really caught the flack of this because he is the commissioner. Of course, there's kind of ownership behind the scenes. But what's your take there? How much of this is like on Manfred versus just like the owners being greedy? And really, I, I saw a tweet. It's like eight teams that are basically filibustering and just been like, absolutely not. And it's the eight poorest franchises, which just get out of the league. Guardians, if you if your payroll is worth less than Trevor Bauer's contract, get out of baseball. That's my statement. Hey, I mean, they went to the World Series in 2016 and had a record win streak in 2017. They make do. But anyway, regardless, 
That's a good question. I mean, it's an interesting question is how much do you blame Manfred? And, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I know the answer to that, but um, he is the face of the MLB basically, right? From a, from a organizational standpoint and an executive standpoint, he's the guy. I mean, he's the Roger Goodell. He's the Adam Silver. So I think a lot of the blame has to fall on him. Um, but obviously there are a lot of people involved. And like you said, the ownership can play a big part of it, especially when you have such a such a large disparity um, in spending between, like you said, organizations like the Mets and Steve Cohen, who, you know, have are just giving record contracts out like it's no big deal. And the Guardians, who have like a 50th of the, of the payroll. So, you know, there, there, there's a lot of different opinions on what's going on. But I, you know, I, I don't think I could give a percentage to how much Manfred's to blame. I mean, I think he's um, maybe a plurality of it, but we'll have to see. And I want to read one thing. So the MLB Players Association followed up Manfred's um, press conference. They released a statement of their own saying, quote, Rob Manfred and MLB's owners have canceled the start of the season. Players and fans around the world who love baseball are disgusted, but sadly not surprised. From the beginning of these negotiations, players' objectives have been consistent. To promote competition, provide fair compensation for young players, and to uphold the integrity of our market system. Against the backdrop of growing revenues and record profits, we are seeking nothing more than a fair agreement. What what Rob Manfred characterized as a defensive lockout is, in fact, the culmination of a decades-long attempt by owners to break our player fraternity. As in the past, this effort will fail. We are united and committed to negotiating a fair deal that will improve the sport for players, fans, and everyone who loves our game. Pretty good statement. I mean, I think it's a great statement. Um, I also would just point out that the NBA Players Association came out in support of the MLB Players Association, kind of just like a... You know, player, and like I saw Walker Bueller had these tweets. He's like, at a, and eventually he did go on to delete these tweets, but he's like, look, this isn't about, you know, billionaire owners versus millionaire players. This is about, you know, employers versus employees, kind of a union esque, um, which is what it is. I think maybe part of what is going on here, and as you said, really, the way that these lockouts have gotten resolved in the past is that the league extorted and guilt tripped the players into taking a subpar agreement in their eyes just to control the narrative as to not having it bounce back on the players. I think with social media and the presence um, and the direct lines of reporting that we have now available, that's why the players maybe have a little more liberty to dig their, their heels in because now it's like, you know, Manfred and the boys come out and say, Oh my God, all we do is lose money. And it's like, well, four seconds later, Forbes articles are tweeted all over baseball Twitter. That's like, okay, yeah, he's lying. You know, you get to have Max Scherzer giving you recaps day to day, Bob Nightingale, Jeff Pazin. So I think there's something to be said there. I personally, like, obviously I want the lockout to end. Like, this is terrible. My favorite sport, my favorite thing to do is being held hostage. Um, But I also don't want the players to just fold because, you know, I think that they have some fair objections and it's like, well, you shouldn't just take that because they're trying to paint a narrative against you. You know, I, I think at this point I lean much heavier to the fact that the owners are to blame. And it's like, you need to, and I saw another tweet that I wish I had recorded all these to reference. Um, you tweeted it, but like if you took 
let's just say all the pro players now got rid of them and took the next 1,500 players and brought them to Major League Baseball and let them sign a subpar deal, the product would be greatly diminished. It would be a much worse product. If you took the next 30 owners that would be eligible instead of these clowns, nothing would happen. So to me, that's very telling. It's not like the owners are really have any control, right? Okay, if you replace Mike Trout with a single A, 190 hitter, no one cares. You know, I mean, you would do nothing. You replace with a, you put Elon Musk in charge of five teams, they're not going to fail. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and it's, you know, I like what you said about social media because I do think that's a big factor here. I mean, the last time there was a lockout in, in, or I guess a strike maybe in 94, 95, I mean, obviously the world was totally different then. And so now it's like every everybody involved from reporters to the players to the ownership, they can all, you know, send a tweet out in the, into the world just like that. So we kind of get an inside look at what's going on in the negotiations and we can kind of hear from all different sides. Um, and, you know, I, do, I don't think we should keep reading up what people have said, but Mike Trout, who's stayed kind of quiet on this, he had a good tweet too where he said, you know, I want to play, I love our game, but, I, but what we need to, uh, we need to get the CBA right instead of bargaining in good faith and we'll be locked us out instead of negotiating a fair deal. Rob canceled games. Players stand together for our game, for our fans, and for every player who comes after us. We owe it to the next generation. It's, I mean, and you'll see tweets like this from from everybody, really. Marcus Stroman, like you said, uh, Matt Scherzer, Bueller. Um, it's sad. I mean, I, it's I kind of a mic sad. drop there. I mean, you've got you've got the biggest name of baseball, generational player, tweeting that, and Mike Trout's not a very you know in your face guy, but that's just the state of it. Um, you know, I think that we could continue to talk and drive this to the ground, but I think we've, we've hit on the points we need to hit. Ultimately it's terrible. We don't know when the negotiations happen. We really don't know the next steps to get baseball. I mean, obviously we need that deal signed. Hopefully there's some impetus, you know, knowing that games, you know, every additional day that goes by without negotiating more games are being lost, which by the way, we're teetering awfully close to not celebrating April 15th this year, 2022, which would be the 75th year that 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier at Ebbets field. So if they miss that, I never want to see the league promoting that, taking credit for that, doing anything to harness off of that event. If it's not important enough for them to get their heads out of their asses, get on the field and get everyone's 42 put on. Because to me, that's a very important day in baseball. If you can't celebrate that because you're so busy, you know, whatever Rob Manfred's doing, it's practice, golf swing or all that, don't come back and try and celebrate that in June. And I saw another one. We're not doing opening day this year. Just start the season. Skip the pageantry, no banners, no June opening day. Skip it all. You don't want to open on opening day. Just open. It's the start of the season. No celebration. Whatever. I mean, and that's where I'm at. You know, I'm just sick and tired of it. They don't want to play baseball. Why should we celebrate and do all the pageantry of it? I mean, they're screwing the fans here. That's who's getting screwed more than anyone. It's the fans. So it's sickening. Yeah, and I think, you know, one last thing we can say on it before we go to our next topic is it kind of – you kind of touched on it. Like what what to expect moving forward. Like, okay, we hit this deadline. Um, opening day is canceled. The first, you know, week of games are canceled. So what's next? 
Um, and I guess we don't really know. Someone asked Rob Manfred that um, at his press conference, and he gave, you know, kind of a non-answer. But, you know, they had an informal conversation today, just one representative from each side, last about an hour and a half. But, I mean, they better be urgent. We can't be missing more games. I don't think they've – I don't know if there will be another deadline to cancel more games, but, I mean, the longer this goes, they're just going to keep canceling games. But as it stands, first two series, first week of the season, 91 total games are canceled. Um, I guess we'll just see what goes from here um, or see where it goes from here. There's not much more to say to that. I'll I'll kick it to you, James. How about you kick off our next topic? Let's move off of this. I'll I'll close us and I'll kick us off. So just close by knowing that we are on standby for that emergency CBA signed baseball safe podcast. So that's still on the table. We're the only ones who haven't left the bargaining table. Round and throw the baseball podcast. Always ready. Always has baseball's interest in mind. With that being said, next statement kind of just hijacked. I think this came in uh, February 28th. So this was the big deadline day for canceling games. And this just kind of came in the morning and I'll start. And this uh, is in regards to Derek Jeter. I'm just going to start out by reading the full statement he released. And then we can kind of unpack that. It's directly from Derek Jeter. Today, I am announcing that the Miami Marlins and I are officially ending our relationship and I will no longer serve as CEO nor as a shareholder in the club. We had a vision five years ago to turn the Marlins franchise around and as CEO, I have been proud to put my name and reputation on the line to make our plan a reality. Through hard work, trust and accountability, we transformed every aspect of the franchise, reshaping the workforce and developing a long-term strategic plan for success. That said, the vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one I signed up to lead. Now is the right time for me to step aside as a new season begins. My family and I would like to thank our incredible staff, Marlins fans, Marlins players, and the greater Miami community for welcoming us with open arms and making us feel at home. The organization is stronger today than it was five years ago, and I am thankful and grateful to have been part of this team. And that's the quote from the captain. Out as CEO of the Miami Marlins. He's done. What do you think, Max? Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty interesting. It, it was un, It's unexpected. Um, I don't think anybody really saw this coming. You know, they. I, I saw an interview um, on John Boy with Miguel Rojas, who's a Marlins shortstop. And on a scale from 1 to 10 about how surprised he was, he said it has to be a 10. So even the players weren't really aware that this was happening. Um, so, But some context. So Jeter... Um, in September of 2017, he joined the Bruce Sherman, who's kind of like his financial guy, led group to purchase the Marlins for $1.2 billion. He was given a 4%, 4% stake in the franchise and became CEO and ran kind of the business of baseball operations. Um, and he did have, a, I believe it was a five-year contract that's expiring this year. So, you know, his contract was up. But, you know, he, you can always sign another contract. And I think that was largely the expectation. Um, but, I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack here. And I think it's interesting. Someone like Derek Jeter, obviously, you know, kind of the golden boy of baseball for the past 30 years. Um, and he really did help turn this Marlins franchise around. I mean, thinking back five or so years, they were really a nobody. Um, you know, they had all these star players coming up like Christian Yelich. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, Giancarlo Stanton, and who all ended up playing elsewhere for, you know, massive contracts. 
and Jeter, somebody who played almost his entire career with the Yankees, is definitely used to large spending, um, getting those big names. And the Marlins have, um, for a long time, been at the bottom of baseball spending, at the bottom of payroll. So maybe, you know, their lack of spending or lack of willingness to spend maybe a reason that he stepped away, even though that the Marlins did starting started giving out, you know, big contracts and they have um, some good young players in their system. So I don't know. I don't know why, why this happened. Um, I think he said it was a, just a philosophical difference between the direction the team wanted to go and the direction he thought it should go. Um, and it was a mutually agreed upon decision. I don't know. What do you think? Do you have, what, what, what were your well, thoughts? You know, my head really started to spin when I, I saw this tweet by Justin Turner. I'll read real quick where he just said, hot take, my sources, common sense, and reading in between the lines tell me that one of our game's greatest champions, Derek Jeter, stepping away from a team with one of the best young pitching staffs in the game because ownership isn't committed to winning and spending. And I think that's been overall the the view or the approach that most of the league or most people around baseball have been saying is that really I think this comes down to at the end of the day, Jeter's like, okay, if you want to compete, you got to go. I mean, you've got to drop some cash, um, especially when you're talking about in the NL East. <laughs> you know, you're not you're not playing around. You got to drop some money. You've got a great young staff. You've got a uh, Miguel Rojas. You've got Jazz uh, Chisholm. He's a great prospect at second base. Stud. I think he's going to be great in the future. Uh, you know, like the tweet said, some great young arms. And everything he's built, I mean, Jeter has really turned them around. They were contending in rebuilding years. They were contending to make the playoffs, you know, and, and maybe not make the playoffs by the end of it, but they weren't tanking from month one on, which was kind of a new vibe for them. So it it's tough. I think the only explanation really could be, I guess there's one side, which is Derek Jeter's just like, okay, I've given my whole life to this game of baseball. Maybe I just want to sit at home, be a millionaire champion and hang out with my wife. You know, fair enough. That's probably not it. I think most people just say, he's like, okay, I'm not going to sit here and be handcuffed by the inability to sign all these great young pitchers and these prospects to the big deals that will take the win. So I'm out because, you know, once again, he's a winner. Derek Jeter just is a winner. May not be a great defensive shortstop, but he's a winner. And uh, if you're not spending money, you're not winning in this league. It's just, it doesn't really happen. Um so I guess yeah, that's that's my read on the situation. Yeah, and one other thing I saw, um, Joel Sherman, who's a, a writer for the New York Post, he believed that uh, I guess the Marlins were supposedly going to spend an extra ten to fifteen million dollars on their payroll after the lockout, but that is no longer the case. And he believes that's central quote central to Jeter's decision to leave as CEO. And um, like you you mentioned, Justin Turner, a lot of other MLB players, Francisco Lindor. A lot of them are praising uh, Jeter's move and the timing of it. Kind of, you know, the idea of a former player not willing to go along with an owner, um, an ownership who's not willing to spend money to do what it takes to win. So, I, you know, that kind of goes along with what you said of his winning mentality. I mean, he's one of the greatest winners in all of baseball with five World Series. Um, and if he doesn't think a team is willing to do what it takes financially to win, um, he's you know, choosing to step away. Yeah. And, you know, Rob Manfred released a statement on this. I'm not going to read it because I don't think Rob Manfred deserves the time of day. Um, essentially, the big things he highlighted out was that Derek 
uh, Jeter served as a really respected voice on both the diversity and competition committees. Obviously, it makes sense. He's a biracial player. He is one of the few GMs to have played and won a lot. Um, and then the other thing is that he really moved the game forward in terms of an equality perspective. I mean, he hired the first woman GM in the history of baseball, um, Kim NG, uh, currently still serving as the GM. Um, and once again, that was a great hire. That's just pretty awesome, propelling him right to the top executive in baseball. Um, so you're going to miss some of that aspects. And I think it was just really fun having Derek Jeter um, involved in the game. And I think for Marlins, it, it kind of gave them an extra notch of credibility. I remember when the hire was first implemented, it's like, okay, they may, you know, they're getting serious. Um, and apparently they weren't serious enough. And, and Derek Jeter is not hanging around to lose. So I will respect the move and wish him all the best in his future endeavors. Yeah, I mean, to give the ownership some credit, I mean, he was there for five years. Um, he did a lot to help turn that franchise around. I mean, they even made the playoffs um, in the, you know, super expanded playoffs during the COVID season. I think they played the Reds in the first round. And I I, I think they won. I forget. I, I can't don't remember off the top of my head. But so, I mean, you know, he I would say he definitely helped that franchise move in the right direction. But like you said, it's tough to see him not, you know, at a, at a major um, role in the league anymore. I'm sure he'll be back. But interesting story that kind of got overshadowed by, obviously, a lot of the depressing news that we already touched on. But I, I do think it's fitting in the fact that it's kind of a players versus owners, baseball versus businessmen <laughs> right. climate. And in the big day of this, it's like, well, in case this deadline day couldn't get big enough, we're starting at 9 a.m. with Derek Jeter fighting his own ownership. Um, I love there was a random tweet I saw of, like, Derek Jeter's parking spot open. I was like, why is this? Like, who's tweeting this out? Like, obviously, if he's not – if he just quit, like, he's not going to go to the facility. Like, <laughs> what were, what was going on there? But, uh, you know, so that's the Derek Jeter. And then, uh, Max, I don't know if you want to take us in for our kind of closeout on this episode. Hopefully a little bit more fun, less business. Yeah, let's do it. So, um, yeah, this segment we've had reoccurring. We got to get some intro music for when we do some of these reoccurring segments so we can kick it off with that. But we are doing a, another Hall of Fame or not. This is our third one, so the third Hall of Fame or not. Previously, we did Clayton Kershaw in Episode 4 and Buster Posey in Episode 9. So, Justin Verlander. Um I personally think this is pretty close to a lock that he would get in, um, barring something, you know, I think he could retire right now and have a pretty good case, but he's obviously coming back to continue to pitch at a high level. Um, well, yeah, that's questionable. Is, he's coming off a pretty big yeah. injury. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But Justin Verlander, I mean, I I personally feel like Verlander has been like the ace of our generation growing up and watching baseball I mean he's had such a long career and such a long and dominant career it almost feels like he's had two primes you know back in the early 2010s when he was with uh, Detroit where he spent most of his career up to this point 13 seasons uh, in Detroit in 2011 when he won the triple crown AL MVP um, and the Cy Young I mean, he was dominant there in that insane Tigers rotation when the Tigers were good, when they had, 
you know, Scherzer and, and Verlander together. Um, and then, and, and then even nowadays when he moved to Houston, he, you know, again, won a Cy Young in 2019, uh, 2017 ALCS MVP. Obviously he was on that, uh, Asterix world series team with the Astros. Fraudulent. Fraudulent. But I, I mean, I, you know, I don't want to list all his stats, but 226 and 129 record, 3-3 ERA, over 3,000 strikeouts, a whip at around 1.1. So, you know, not like the most unbelievable stats you've ever seen, but for somebody who's been in the league for 17 years and still pitching at a high level to have just above a 3 ERA, I mean, he's the guy. Plus, he has three no-hitters. I think, I mean... Obviously, some very biased pushback on my side. Everyone knows the ace of this generation was Clayton Kershaw, hands down. Um, but I definitely, I will say, in all fairness, removing the bias, Verlander, Kershaw, and Scherzer have kind of been like the three guys, the three arms. You can kind of take your pick of of who you want of those three, and it's pretty right. accepted. Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing about Verlander's career is just the, I mean, obviously a monster. That 2011 campaign was maybe one of the best seasons the pitchers had. I mean, just downright filth, just racking in anything he could. Um, essentially, it's also funny to think that the Tigers had Scherzer and uh, Verlander at one point and uh, couldn't really get it done. I mean, they play, played great, but could not accomplish the ultimate goal there. Um, of course... I think the biggest thing in Verlander's favor, and you kind of talked about it, is just duration. I mean, eight all-star appearances, you know, he, a couple Cy Youngs. You know, we talked about some of the other awards. He was also Rookie of the Year in 2006. So so the trophy case is pretty hefty. The duration's been there. 3-3, three, three, it's not incredible. I mean, it's obviously not Clayton Kershaw level. But it's very good for that duration for pitching 2,988 innings. I mean, you know, he's – Pretty solid stats. Uh, just for fun, I grabbed his batting stats. One hundred. And keep in mind, he's been in the American League his entire career, so already <laughs> hardly bats. But one hundred batting average, which is actually not that bad considering he's in the American League, and he has five hits in his career, all singles, and one run batted in. So that's your Verlander uh, batting stats, which I think more of a reason to pit him in. I mean, look at those stats. Um, so five hits, so he's five for fifty. Yeah, I mean, mean, look, he's a pitcher in the American League. What can you expect? Right. I mean, if you honestly bat in 100 to me, I'm like, all right, you kind of hit the threshold there. Um, And I will say some of the National League bats, Julio Urias, you know, smoked these stats last year, smoked his career stats in one year. But that's the difference between National League and American League, which hopefully uh, that doesn't matter anymore. But kind of, you know, getting back on track, Max, what do you think on Justin Verlander? Is he in? Is he out? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think he's definitely in. Um, I think he could retire right now, have a 16-year career, uh, two Cy Youngs, an MVP, World Series title, an ALCS MVP, eight All-Stars. Um, I, I think he would for sure be in, um, you know, he would be on my ballot. Um, and I want to touch on that. Like, that 2011 season he had is just, like, so insane. Um, 2-4 ERA. A whip at .9, so he ever so he basically allows less than a base runner every inning. Um, pitched two hundred and fifty one innings, and and keep in mind these are all um, league leading statistics. 
So led the league in innings pitched, game started, ERA, win loss percentage, total wins. He went twenty four and five. Not that that's like a great stat for the pitcher, obviously, but still important. He had led the league in strikeouts, ERA plus, WHIP, uh, hits per nine. I mean, all, everything, everything. And 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 then you know, ten years later, to still be able to pitch at a at a very high level, obviously in twenty nineteen, he went twenty one and six. Led the league in innings pitched, uh, led the league in games started, in whip. In whip in 2019, he had a .8 whip. Um, and so I, we don't need to just read off of baseball reference for this whole thing, but it is important to look at his stats. And he would definitely be on my ballot. What about you? Uh, well, warn the listeners, you may want to turn your uh, headphones down or whatever you're listening to down a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely not. He does not get in my Hall of Fame, especially after this last ballot where they they have said that apparently, in my opinion, the writers were very clear that the Hall of Fame is only reserved for the morally moral saints, you know, the highest of the high, the greatest people to ever exist. You have to have an extensive, incredible character. You've got to have millions of service hours. You have to be the cream of the crop to get in. So with that being the new rubric that you have to be the greatest person in your hometown, absolutely not can you pit this scumbag in. You cannot. Uh, Justin Verlander, in my opinion, is one of my most hated players on this premise, which is because very of clear. Because the Astros? Of course, because it's very, very clear that, you know, there was some cheating going on with the Astros. So, you know, maybe you put an asterisk next to that World Series because in my head it doesn't count, you know. And Rob Manfred's head it didn't matter because it's just a hunk of metal. But this is where I really get mad because you could say his career without Houston would still be borderline up there. I mean, I think he needs the Houston awards and the longevity to, to really make the push. But my problem with Verlander is that you know how – much of an advantage a batter knows if he knows what's coming. If he knows to sit a breaking ball, you know that more than anyone. He's not There's a no way. Well, oh, I know he's not, but and that's where the problem is. But he knew, he had to have known this is going on. There's no way this giant conspiracy was happening, and some players on the team knew, some didn't. No way, no way. When you, when it is a club sponsored cheating rigmarole activity, you had to know. So to have no character as a pitcher to saying, well, hang on, guys. If the team knew to sit on every breaking ball I ever threw, my ERA would be 4.5, and I would get cooked consistently all the time. That's my problem with Verlander is you understand the ramifications worse than anyone. I think he has a duty. If anything, he should have been the one that leaked it and been like, yeah, uh, we're, we are savaging people. The Astros tried to end you Darvish's career with their shenanigans and trash can games. So that is my problem with Verlander. While he – I don't think he was lethal. It wasn't him at the plate with the buzzer, the trash can that was really causing issues. But it's like you knew how bad this was, and you just let it happen, continuing to smile the whole time you're racking in a Cy Young and just your team is cheating and screwing other people out of awards. So simply on the morality clause, which apparently now is the way that we judge baseball players, you absolutely can't let this guy in. In my opinion – and I'm somewhat biased in this because the Astros have personally tried to victimize me and ruin my life. They, I mean, it's just ridiculous. This is as bad as Bond stuff to me. 
And, you know, I know that that's maybe a bit rounding up. That's where I said they victimized me. And that's why I'm a little more sensitive to it. But I am personally more mad at Verlander, the majority of that Astros team, majority of the actual people that were batting and cheating, because it's like, you got to come up. So on that regard, no, absolutely not. Don't let this scumbag in. (laughs) I mean, I I think you got me with that. The last point you make is good, you know, that. Because I was, I was going to push back that, you know, the cheating didn't help him. Uh, he's a pitcher. He didn't benefit from it at all. But the point that he knows about it, he or he knew about it, I mean, you can't overlook that. Um, and I do agree that, you know, based on the Hall of Fame's decisions as of late and, uh, you know, kind of throughout their whole, the whole story of the Hall of Fame, letting somebody like that who knew that cheating was going on is probably not something that they would do. But I, I kind of think the writers will side with Verlander here, given his extensive career. And he he wasn't, you know, he probably, like you said, has a Hall of Fame career, regardless of his time with the Astros, maybe. Um, but I still think he'll get in. I don't think it's quite the same as some of the other players who aren't allowed in. And I also think um, his, like, degrees of, degrees of removal from the actual cheating, even though he may or may not have known about it. Well, he had to know, I assume. Um, I think his his degrees removed is large enough that he'll still get in. Well, and, and let me just clarify everything. I think he gets in. I don't think there's any way in which the writers actually leave, right, any of that three-headed monster I said out of the Hall of Fame just because, like, all right, they were – such incredible arms like how do you not right like if he doesn't get in then like Kershaw is obviously no doubter if Verlander doesn't get in then maybe it sure isn't like who because if you don't let Verlander in what other pitcher besides Kershaw has a chance right so I think they on that regard yeah he probably gets in I would say if you take the Houston out of his career it's a really good career but that would be a really tough 50-50 on if he gets in or not without having the World Series, even though it shouldn't have counted, without the second Cy Young, you know, or the ALCS MVP. Hard to know, but, you know, my standpoint overall is that he's a giant scumbag. And, no, he should not be rewarded for a scumbag. And I, and I do think it's because, like, even the, the union talked about the baseball fraternity and that's kind of why I get so mad about this, because I understand all the players, you know, staying united. But even more so than that, you've got to think at a certain point, the pitchers are a little bit closer, right? Your bullpen guys, friends, each other, starters. It's like, okay, we're doing a whole different thing. We're on our element. We're one of a kind. They take all the pressure, right? It's hard to be a pitcher. You ultimately give up. If you give up a home run, no one else behind you has anything to do with that. So there's got to be some sort of camaraderie to be like, man, Jose Altuve is playing incredibly because he's just sitting on breaking balls and hitting them 500 feet. Like, there's got to be some pride where you're like, okay, well, man-to-man, pitcher-to-pitcher. Like, I know what would happen. If Cody Bellinger could sit on every fastball, he would have 75 home runs a year, no question. Barry Bonds' record would get cooked. I mean, it's just like, come on. Like, come on, dude. You got you to gotta say something. You got to be the guy. Because obviously Jose Altuve or Bregman, they're not going to come out and be like, yeah, we're having incredible stats and we're going to get paid and win MVPs off of cheating. They're not going to be the guys that break it up. So if anyone on the team would have, it would have been a pitcher. He was their ace in action there. So in action on my ballot, officially when rounded through the baseball podcast gets our BBWA 
uh, ballots for the Hall of Fame, he's not getting a check from me. There you go. Boom. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't have anything else to add there. I think, you know, we both made our points pretty clear. Um, it, I'm, I'm, you know, episode 13, it was good. Um, I'm tired of making episodes that are just like talking about how we're not going to see baseball and we're blah, 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 blah. I mean, I want to talk about, you know, uh, Arenado walk-off grand slam and some fun things going on, but. Chris Taylor in the playoffs. Yeah. As of now, we're stuck. It's terrible. We want more than anyone. I mean, we're, we were put in a terrible position, not to make the walkout about us, but we started a podcast in the offseason hoping we'd get rolling, and then they locked us out. Uh, <laughs> but we're still here with baseball content. We just more than anything want to go to two episodes and just talk about guys mashing homers, just electric pitching. We want to cover what makes the game our favorite, what makes it electric, and get people – back involved in baseball and the league has the opposite view or position as us. They're trying to get people uninvolved in baseball. It's incredible. And on that note, I think uh, we call episode 13. We'll be back episode 14. Follow us on Spotify, you know, follow the Twitter rounding third. Now three RD, we're getting that going. Um, you know, still waiting for a gift of your favorite pitcher <laughs> batting. You know, if you want to dig one of those out of the closet while we wait for uh the CBA to get signed plenty of time. Dude, no one listens to the end of the podcast. Like nobody is going to hear what we're talking about right now. <laughs> if you hear that, someone tweet about it. There's money on the line. Hopefully we'll be back next Thursday. Well, we will be back next Friday. I mean, but hopefully sooner. I'm ready for the emergency pod. Uh, emergency podcast is going nuts. We're getting a soundboard. You know, it's going to be crazy. Yeah, All right. Talk to you guys right. next week. Thanks, everyone.